Let me read from Romans chapter 2, 1 through 16 this morning. The letter to Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Would you pray once more with me this morning? Father, I ask that you would, you you and you alone would judge our hearts this morning. Uh, I know I cannot judge even my own heart well enough without your hope, much less anyone else here. And so, God, I pray that you would prevent and keep anyone here from hearing a pastor judging them and rightly only hear your judgment, to hear your words. And God, where the, the judgment rightly fits, that we would acknowledge, repent, confess, and turn towards you in faith and obedience. God, where judgment does not rightly fit, 
and Satan tempts us to despair and feel more guilty than we should, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would protect those um, who have trusted in Christ Jesus alone for their salvation, and that they would not feel the weight that you took already upon the cross. And so God, help us this morning in a hard and difficult passage, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, uh, just by looking at TV, uh, it's very easy to see that we love judge shows. Uh, Back in the day, when I was uh, home during the summer, it was Judge Judy, right? And uh, you can insert whatever your judge show of choice would be. But I think there's like 10 different versions of Law & Order now. And, uh, you know, any show that has some sort of justice and judgment, you know, we, we just affix ourselves to because uh, we love it. We love justice, uh, you know, in certain situations where we can see injustice. And uh, we, we like that to happen. We like judgment when it's, when it's rightly fit. But um, when that judgment is turned around back on us, we, we don't like it so much, right? When that, when that cop pulls you over and you know you've been speeding, you, you don't want justice at that point, right? Because you know you deserve it. And, uh, and you even want to fight against it. I know, I'm your preacher, but I need to confess something to you. I was pulled over the other night on the way home from their house and doing a membership interview. It was a godly moment. And I was like, no. I was not speeding. No, I, I, did not, I didn't do anything wrong. And he came up and he said, the reason I pulled you over is because your headlight was out. And I was like, <laughs> it was out. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely 100% right. And I couldn't see on that road back there. I need to get that fixed. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. <laughs> but I, 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 was, I, I knew I hadn't been speeding. I knew I hadn't been doing But I, when he said that, wrong. Broke the law. Deserve the ticket. Praise be to God. Your pastor got a warning. Uh, I still need to fix that headlight, and I will do so. I'm on a uh, recording doing so, but this is what happens. We love judgment. We love righteousness. We love justice, especially when it's directed towards someone else, but when it's directed towards us, we want grace. We want grace, we want mercy, we want uh, even someone to overlook it. That's what we want. And this passage uh, is going to speak directly to that idea. It's going to speak to the idea that we love judgment towards others, but we don't love it on ourselves. The Romans chapter 2, the context of this passage is in a larger section of the the book of Romans that we started looking at last week in chapter 1, verse 18. And after introing himself and the gospel early on in chapter 1 and his desire to proclaim the gospel um, to the people of Rome, Paul says in verse 18 that the wrath of God would be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. 
And he starts very broad, this really broad category of the righteousness of God, the wrath of God being revealed uh, against sin. And against specifically sin um, that people are proud of. We didn't spend a ton of time on it, but if you look at verse 32, it says, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This first section in, 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 in Romans, it opens up with this judgment, this description of the wrath of God coming against all of those, us included, who sin and approve of that sinful behavior, celebrate it even. And Paul calls those, those, those of us out, if that includes you or if that includes um, others in this world, they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to, die, deserve to die, and they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And it would be easy at that point to say, yeah, get them, God, judge them. Those who live in that sinful lifestyle, and they celebrate it, and they like it, and they enjoy it, and they approve of others doing the same thing, get them, God. But then Paul, in this really broad sense, begins to narrow it. He's going to narrow it this week. He's going to narrow it next week. He's going to narrow it the week after that. And at the end of chapter 3, no one is going to be left outside the scope of his judgment. And and so the narrowing comes when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, a phrase that he used earlier in chapter 1, verse 20, that all people are without excuse when they stand before God, but he, but he gets even more specific here, and he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, every one of you who judges. Paul is, like I said, like a a microscope, uh, taking that broad view and beginning to zoom in a a little bit each and every section of of Romans that we get. And this is where he goes from talking about really Gentile unbelievers, all mankind, he says, that uh, live in sin and are unrepentant of it and openly enjoy it and give approval to others. And now he begins to go to a section of of people who do the very same things, but in secret. They think the same way. They talk the same way. They enjoy the same sinful lifestyle and behavior, but they do it in secret, and no one else knows in private. And so publicly they can judge. And this doesn't just happen to them out there. It happens to us right in here. We fall into this trap so easily, myself included. found myself in applying this Scripture to my life this week of how easy this is to do. That the judges are now being judged. 
that those who judge have no excuse before God. Now, at the same time, this is also the, the point at which some people want to jump, jump on top of this verse and, and pull it out of context and say, see, we're not supposed to judge. We're not to judge anyone. We shouldn't judge their behavior. We shouldn't judge their thoughts. We shouldn't judge their actions. We shouldn't judge any of that kind of stuff. But, but what we're going to see in this passage is judgment is really not the problem. It's sin and hypocrisy that's the problem that is causing us to judge others without first rightly judging ourselves. Judgment is good. Right judgment is, is good. And it is healthy for us to have righteous judgment. Um, but the problem here is the sin and hypocrisy. And yet, so many people will jump on that idea of, oh, I don't judge. In fact, I was in a meeting a, a couple weeks ago with political figure, and their claim to, to fame or claim to be loved was, oh, I don't judge. I'm a Christian, but I don't judge. You, you do you, I'll do me, I don't, I don't judge. We're not supposed to judge. And that's something that people would love um, to be true, um, except when they look at, when people would look at their lives and, and they know that there's sin in their lives. They would love for people to hold to that type of belief because they themselves don't want to be judged. We don't want to be judged when we know that there's sin in our life. But judgment is good. Uh, judgment is right, especially when it's good judgment. But the problem here is the sin and hypocrisy. So if you're taking notes, one of the first things I want you to note in 1 through 4 is this truth, that unrepentant judges will be without excuse or escape. Unrepentant judges will be without excuse or escape. You saw that Paul opened up with that phrase, that they're without excuse. Let me keep reading. In the middle of verse 1, it says, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. They were doing the very same things privately that they were publicly judging others for. Nobody knew that they did it, and so for them to take a public stand against it uh, was easy for them. But God knows the heart. God sees what happens in secret Paul doesn't even know necessarily what they're doing. He just knows it happens to all of us. That we jump on the judgment bandwagon knowing that the very same things have been going on in our own hearts. And so Paul doesn't specifically mention which thing they are saying or doing or thinking, but he knows that it's happening. And he says, when you judge them publicly... You actually are judging yourself because you've already done these things too. So just listen to your own judgment against them and repent. 
and confess and turn back to the Lord and walk in faith that leads to obedience. When we judge others rightly, that's good, but we need to also apply that right judgment back to ourselves first. Does that sound familiar? I think Paul was aware of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, we would love to just take that verse. You know, a lot of people would love to see. Jesus says, Don't judge. He doesn't actually say, Don't judge. He says, If you will judge, if you judge others, you too will be judged. And that's okay if it's a right judgment. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, notice he doesn't say, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's saying, take the log out of your own eye first, then you can take the speck out of their eye. Judge your own heart, your own life your own mind, your own words first and judge them rightly according to God's Word, according to uh, the Scriptures. Judge yourself first, then having confessed, repented, believed, walked in obedience, you will then better be able to judge others. You will then better be able to get that little speck in someone else's eye out having already got the giant log uh, in, in your own eye. So I think Paul is, is aware of those words. I, I think he uh, knows Jesus' words there and is hitting on that same idea that, that we too will be condemned when we judge in that way. Or in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The judgment of God, it rightly falls on sin, right? And we just have to turn that around privately, secretly, to our own lives, our areas of our life that most people don't know about first so that we can then help others in that same area. Sounds very familiar to a couple stories in our Bibles, a couple that we talked about earlier this week with some of the, some of the men that, that help in my sermon preparation. Uh, maybe this story is familiar of David. Uh, and I thought it was great that Graham led us this morning in Psalm 51, singing that psalm because um, it's that story that that psalm came out of uh, where David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. And, 
And in doing so, he took her to be his wife, even though God had given him everything he needed. He saw the one thing he didn't have, and he wanted it, and he took it. And Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, tells him a story and says, there was a rich man that had innumerable sheep and a poor man who had one sheep. And a traveler came to town, and the rich man took the poor man's one sheep to feed the traveler instead of taking one from his innumerable flock. And David is outraged. How dare he? He should pay. And Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. Here's David judging another and yet he himself has already done the very same thing. Second Samuel 12, 1 through 14, if you want to read that further. And he was rightly convicted of that. And that's where we get that, that, that song from Psalm 51. Or we jump forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 18. It's a parable of the unforgiving servant after Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? And thinking, I'm going I'm to just go ahead and get the right answer out there. And, and you know, Jesus make me, Jesus will think I, I look good. He's like, I know Jesus, seven times. The perfect number. Seven times is how many I forgive. And Jesus says, no, not seven, 70 times seven. Uh, perfection times perfection is the amount of times we ought to forgive one another. And Jesus then gives uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant and, and talks about uh, a master who forgives the debt of a servant that would have taken like 200,000 years worth of wages to pay. Just think about 200,000 years worth of wages to pay the debt that he owed. The, the master of the servant forgave him the debt. And the servant goes away, and there's a man who owes him 100 days' debt. And he's unwilling to forgive that person. And the master then takes him back and puts him in prison because he is unwilling to show the same type of forgiveness that he has been shown. He is judging in an area that he had been forgiven of. But it's not just David, and it's not just this parable of this unforgiving servant. This happens in our own hearts all the time. Paul, uh, John Stott writes this paragraph in his commentary, and it was so good. I just copied it here to, to be able to read to us to consider Paul uncovers in these verses a strange human characteristic, namely our tendency to be critical of everybody except ourselves. We are often as harsh in our judgment of others as we are lenient towards ourselves. We work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behavior of other people while the very same behavior seems not so nearly so serious when it is ours rather than theirs. We even gain a bizarre satisfaction from condemning in others the very faults we excuse in ourselves. This moral gymnastic 
enables us simultaneously to retain our sins and our self-respect. It is a convenient arrangement, but also both slick and sick. It's, it's sin, secret sin and hypocrisy that's the problem, not judgment. That's why I said in, in that first point, it's unrepentant sin, unrepentant judgment that will go without excuse or escape. And then Paul asked two questions. In verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge, that those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Some of us do these things and just think, it's all good. I, I, I'm not going to be judged for that. I'll escape somehow. You know, like, no, no, no big deals. Theirs is worse. Mine is not. It's okay. I'll escape it. And Paul asked this, this question, do you think that you're going to escape it? The right answer, the honest answer is no. No, we won't escape that judgment in the end. Or verse 4, another question, trying to get at the heart of the issue. Paul asks, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are, are you just doing these things in secret and living in this way, thinking that, oh, God's kind, he's loving, he'll forgive me, no big deal. And so we don't rightly confess. We don't rightly repent. We don't rightly walk in faith and obedience. We don't fight sin so hard because we know, oh, God will forgive. It's okay. No big deal. I'll just, if it ha happens, it's just a little one. It'll happen again. God is kind. He is rich in kindness. He is merciful. He is patient towards us. But Paul says, don't you know that those things are meant to lead you to repentance? Not to continuing on in sin evermore, but to lead you to repentance, to cause you to turn the fact that God hasn't struck you dead right then and there should cause you to turn around and, and to repent, to believe again and to obey Him in those moments. Those of us who act like this, there's no excuse. There's no escape. In, even in this passage, this question that Paul asks, it seems as if Peter knows what Paul is talking about. It seems as if Peter is even referencing this letter or another one of Paul's letters that says something very much like this. In 2 Peter 3.9, he talks about God's patience, meaning to lead us to repentance. In 2 Peter 3.9, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. God is patient towards you. God is kind towards you. God is loving towards you. Why? so that you would repent, so that you'd believe, 
so that you'd walk in faith for His name's sake, that you'd walk in obedience for His honor and for His glory. And a little bit later, Peter says in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Peter seems to have read Paul, seems to have read his letters, seems to have read what Paul had to say about patience, meaning to lead us to repentance. Our own New Testament is using our New Testament to preach the truth to us. That God's patience towards myself, towards you, is meant to lead us to repentance because unrepentant judges will be without excuse or escape in the end. But the second thing we see, in starting in verse 5, is this. God's judgment will be righteous and impartial. If mankind, sinful, unrepentant uh, mankind will be without excuse or escape at the judgment. We need to also note that God's judgment on that day will be righteous and impartial. Look at verse 5. Paul says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, words that are used to describe unrepentance, words that are used to describe um, cold, um, dead, lifeless faith, words that are used to describe Pharaoh and and enemy kings in the Old Testament. Um, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when, listen, God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Last week when we were looking at Romans 1, verse 18 through 32, we were considering the wrath of God and we we talked about several different aspects or, or characteristics of the wrath of God. That wrath of God that comes down immediately against sin or that future day of wrath. But last week's passage wasn't talking about either of those. It was talking about God's wrath as God simply giving people up to their sin and letting them have the way in which they want. But this week, in this passage, Paul is highlighting that future wrath of God that will be poured out at a judgment When God is on His throne and all mankind is before Him, those who secretly sin and judge others for the very same things, thus judge themselves and and are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous, holy, perfect, good judgment is enacted. And we should know better because we already learned that If we judge others rightly, we should also judge ourselves first with that same right judgment 
we ought to assume that one day God too will judge with that right judgment. And we should have judged ourselves with that right judgment. But then he goes beyond that, and in verse 6, he says, He will render to each one according to his works. Paul uses this Old Testament idea that uh, we will be judged uh, according to the measure with which we have judged others. Psalm 62.12 or Proverbs 24.12. You may have cross-references in your Bible and see those notes there. I encourage you to go and, and read those. Jesus says this very same thing in Matthew 16.27. And Paul is making the point, he will render to each one according to his works. And then note what he does. He, he gives really two parallel statements trying to prove the point. It's kind of like point A, point B, point B, point A. Good, bad, bad, good. Look at it. In verse 7, point, point A or good, to those who by patience in well-doing Seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. Essentially, those who have repented of their sins and believed on Jesus Christ and by patience are living honorably and for God's glory, God will give eternal life. But, in verse 8, point B, the the bad, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He says something very similar, just in a different way here in verse 9. Point B again, the bad again. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek. Verse 10, but, he goes back to point A, back to the good, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God shows no difference in His judgment to one group of people or to another group of people. God shows no difference in His judgment to one person versus the next person. He is the same. He is impartial. His judgment, as we saw in verse 5, is righteous. God's judgment in the end will be righteous and impartial. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that's the judgment that we will face. And we see in this parallel statement that Paul is is trying to make that God is going to give eternal life to those who by faith have walked in obedience and honor and peace for them. But to those who walk in unrighteousness, to those who walk in sin, there will be wrath and fury tribulation and distress. We've got to recognize that. 
We, we've got to consider that for a second. That's what we're storing up for ourselves. Now, you may think, well, Brian, you've, you've gone crazy because I, I hear you say that we're saved by grace through faith and that it's not according to our works that we will be saved in the end, that it's not according to our works that we will be judged in the end. We are justified by our faith. We are saved by grace through faith, but we're judged according to our works. We will be justified of that judgment in the end, but there will be a judgment. And it's that judgment that Christ himself took upon the cross. The way that we live in sin, in hypocrisy, the way that we live in unrighteousness is the reason that Christ went to the cross. We will be judged according to that. But for those who repent and believe, they too, though, can also at the same time be justified for their action, from their actions. He says that God shows no partiality, a phrase that is familiar in our New Testament. Um, Jesus uh, made this clear to Peter, who was a good Jew and in, in, in the book of Acts recalls having a, a vision or a dream of a sheet coming down, a, a net, if you will, coming down from heaven with animals of all kinds unclean, unkosher animals to the Jews and um, clean animals. And God tells him to eat. And Peter says, by no means. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God is using that vision and that dream in that moment to make it clear that, that there is no partiality with God, no distinction between Jew and Gentile any longer, that Christ came and died on the cross for Jews and for Gentiles, that Christ came and gave his life for all. And God, Jesus told Peter on that day, God shows no partiality in his judgment any longer because Christ died for all. Therefore, Peter, you show no partiality anymore. This is why G, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, when he writes his letter to the early church, he says, God is impartial in his judgment, therefore you ought to be impartial in your judgment. We ought to show the righteous judgment of God first to ourselves, then to others. Not to others first and forget ourselves. We need to be able to apply that righteous judgment that we see in God's Word, that righteous judgment that, uh, that the Lord gives to us, knowing that one day we too will be judged. God's judgment will be righteous and impartial. But lastly, if you're <coughs> taking notes, note this, that Christ alone will be our standard or our Savior. Christ alone will be our standard or our 
Savior. Unrepentant judges will be without excuse or escape in the end. And when God judges, His judgment will be righteous and impartial. And in that day, when we face the Lord, Christ alone will be our standard or our Savior. Just as He spoke of both Jews and Greeks in verse 9 and in verse 10, He speaks of them here as well in chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law, that is, Gentiles, and Gentile, just to clarify, is just anyone who's not a Jew, and they've grown up without hearing the Old Testament, the law of God. They didn't grow up going to school. They didn't uh, um, Jewish school to be able. They didn't grow up in a Jewish household to be able to hear those things that Graham read from in Deuteronomy chapter six this morning. They didn't grow up going to Sunday school, so they grew up without the law. But Paul says, "For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law." On the other side. And all who have sinned under the law, that is, Jews, will be judged by the law. Why? Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Again, here the Jews thought it would be easy for them to say, We've heard the law, we're Jews, we are God's chosen people, so we will be saved and forgiven in the end. We don't have to do that necessarily, but they haven't, and so they'll be the ones that'll be judged in the end. And Paul makes it abundantly clear that it's not Jews or Gentiles who will be saved just because of their birth, but will all be judged. We'll be judged not simply by the law, but because of our sin. We'll be judged because of our sin against a holy and righteous God, whether we had the law or not, whether we had the Bible or not. We'll be judged because we're sinners. And he goes on in verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. In doing that, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is trying to make it clear that it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in church or not, whether you grew up hearing the Word of God or not. We respond rightly to what God has revealed to us. Back in chapter 1, it was that God created the world and we ought to worship Him as the creator and sustainer of the world. When God 
reveals to mankind who have never stepped inside a gathering of a Christian church, and yet they know in their hearts what's right and what's wrong at a base level. And they would rightly admit that they have not lived perfectly. They've judged themselves. We have the law written on our hearts. The Bible says so in, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Consider Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We, ha- we know in the depths of our heart we've been made in the image of God. We know right from wrong. We will be judged in the end. And in that day, Christ alone will either be our standard by which we are judged by or our Savior. Look in verse 16. On that day, when according to my gospel, Paul says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Again, the problem here is not judgment. The problem is secret sin. The problem is hypocrisy, living in one way and speaking and acting in another way. Judging others without first judging ourselves. And Paul is saying when we stand before God on that day, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So just consider uh, Christ Jesus, whom we've put forward to you today in word, in prayer, in song, in God's word. Jesus Christ, who is holy, righteous, who left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect and sinless life, standing before God. And then you and or me standing there before God on that day of judgment. If we have not repented of our sins, if we've not believed in Jesus Christ in that moment, our lives are going to be judged by the standard of Christ's holy perfect and sinless life. And we're going to see, as Paul says, that we fall very, very short on that day. But if while we have the opportunity while on this earth, we recognize the sin in our own hearts, we repent, we turn from that sin We turn from our self and we turn towards Christ as our only Savior uh, here while, while on this earth living this life. Then when we stand before God, though our life deserves right judgment 
for our actions, for our words, for our secret thoughts of men, Christ himself will stand in the gap and say, I died for him. I died for her. I took his judgment on the cross. I shed my blood for her sin. The payment has been made. The penalty has been taken. There is a judgment. And only those who, by faith, have believed in Jesus Christ will be justified in that day. We'll either be judged according to our sins next to the standard of Christ alone, or we'll be justified by faith in Him. And on that day, we will have the righteousness of Christ upon us. And God will look and say, enter into my kingdom. We are sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. We have not enough righteous acts to bring to that day of judgment to outdo our sinful acts. There's not another person that we will be compared to on that day as our standard. We may wish that there were, that we could bring this person to say, I'm better than that person. But no, it's Christ alone who will be our standard by which we will be judged by or justified by. And my encouragement to, to all of us this morning is to consider, have we repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ? Will on that day we be judged with the same judgment that we have judged others? Or will we be justified because we've already judged ourselves and found ourselves lacking and have repented and confessed of our need for a Savior in that day? Let's judge ourselves rightly today so that on that day we'll be justified by faith. And having judged ourselves rightly, we'll be better equipped to humbly and yet rightly judge others. Having taken the log out of our own eye, we'll be better equipped to be able to take the speck out of another's eye. So let's judge ourselves appropriately this morning so that we might be justified in the end. If you've already judged yourself and found yourself to be lacking, if you've already repented of your sins and believed in Christ, and you know that He will be your, your Savior in the end, then let's give thanks. Let's worship Him and Him alone. Let's look to Him for help to offer that same forgiveness, that same um, love and compassion and kindness and patience towards others. Let's look to Him to uh, judge others rightly, that we might be holy as, as He is holy. But if you have yet to recognize your own sin, you've yet to judge your own heart, you've yet to find yourself or realize before today that you would be falling short when you face God in the end, I urge you this morning 
having realized that you will fall short on that day, repent. Just acknowledge your sin before the Lord. Confess to the Lord in prayer. And call upon Jesus to save you. And He'll no longer be your standard by which you will be judged and sent to hell. He'll be your Savior uh, by which you will be justified and brought into heaven to spend eternal life with Him in peace and glory forevermore. Let's pray. Father, help us. I find myself lacking. I have found myself lacking this week in considering my judgment of others without having first judged myself. God, I pray that you would forgive me. I believe that there are others who, like me, when seeing the truth of your word, inspired by your very spirit, when hearing these things this morning, they too have realized areas where they've judged others and have yet to judge themselves. And I pray that you would help them to walk in faith and obedience, to repent, to believe again, and to walk in faith. God, I pray that you would help us show that that type of forgiveness that Jesus expects from us, simply because we have been forgiven much, we too would forgive others. God, I pray that if there is a person here, whether they came of their own accord or they were invited by somebody to come for the uh, first time or maybe they've been to our church, our worship gathering many times, even years. Lord, I pray that we would all consider our own hearts. And if there is someone here who has yet to call upon the name of Jesus Christ by which they must be saved, that they would do that today. That they would turn from their sins that they would turn from their self and turn towards you and find grace and find mercy, find kindness, find patience that comes only from you. And that that kindness and patience would lead them to repentance, not continued sin. And they would commit themselves to follow you all of the days of their life, for that's what faith means. So God, have your way with us, we pray. We ask that you would sanctify our lives to look more and more like Jesus, who alone is perfect. Jesus, we thank you for the life that you gave on the cross, the death that you endured, and the life, the resurrected life that you, uh, that you displayed conquering sin and death. 
let those of us who have repented and believed remember uh, that our sin has been paid for. Let us then walk in obedience. Let us then be holy as you are holy. God, we pray that you would help us in all of this because this is impossible apart from you, apart from your help. Restore us to you, I pray this morning, that we might be your ambassadors here on this earth. We love you. We thank you for your grace in your word, even this morning, to reveal this sin in our own lives to us. We pray for your help in overcoming. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.